morning everybody um uh before i start um earlier in the week while david and francis were still away i sent um i sent david a photo via whatsapp um i was i was online and i was reading some stuff i'm going to read out to you it might sound unusual but bear with me i'm going to read out to you a press statement that was released earlier this week from the atheist in kenya society um and it reads like this press statement the resignation of the atheist in kenya society secretary Mr. Seth Mahinga. This evening, regretfully, the Secretary of the Atheist in Kenya Society, Mr. Seth Mahinga, informed me that he has made the decision to resign from his position as Secretary of the Society. Seth's reason for resigning is that he has found Jesus Christ and is no longer interested in promoting atheism in Kenya. We wish Seth all the best in his newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank him for having served the Society with dedication over the last one and a half years. The position of secretary has been rendered vacant. We are calling upon Kenyan atheists who would wish to join our executive committee to send their CVs. Um, and I think, David, David, your response was, is that real? Um, at first, because it does look like one of those fake ones, but no, it's true. The atheist in Kenya society this week lost their secretary because he found Jesus. Um, so, you know, I thought that's a nice little good news story to start with. Um Annie and Leslie, thank you for for those those readings. Um, I went, Leslie, when you started reading, I thought for a second that I'd given you the wrong one because um, I'd, I'd forgotten what I'd asked for to be read. But it was really great to hear that. Thank you. And Annie, thank you for reading from Luke. So as David said earlier, I'm going to talk about the the Beatitudes. Um, and the reason I asked for the reading from Luke is that that's one of two places where the Beatitudes are found in the Gospels. I'm going to be talking about the other place, uh, Matthew chapter 5, at the start of what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I read it in the NIV and it says this, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, I love this, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jess has said to me in the past that were she ever to... Um, I asked her once, I said, if you were going to give a sermon, what would you do? She said, I'll just read out the Sermon on the Mount. There's one already written for me. Um, and when Jess and I first um, got to know each other and first got together, we were running a Bible study for uh, some young people in our church, sort of late teens. Uh, university age sort of people um, and the Sermon on the Mount was one of the first things that we we studied and myself as a new Christian when I became a Christian um, in 1997 for ages whenever I looked at this I didn't really pay much attention to the Beatitudes I thought you know they're just a series of sayings it's Jesus's opening remarks at the start of a sermon we all know the start of the sermon is just when you're introducing yourself and so on and I would say that I was I was almost dismissive of them. But over the years, 
okay i've come to see and come to understand that they're not just a, a bunch of sayings things that um jesus just threw out there they're not separate individual sayings there are a list of of desirable qualities that jesus wants to see in his disciples um similar in a way to Moses and his Ten Commandments. Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai. He spends 40 days up there with God. He's listening. He's getting the law. Jesus has just spent 40 days in the wilderness. He's come out. Okay, they both come up with these lists. There's a major difference, though. Moses comes down with his list of mostly do nots. Do not do this. Jesus comes up with a list of things that we should do. Moses gives us a list of things to avoid. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, that sort of thing. Jesus comes up with a list of things that we need to, to earnestly seek. And it's here, at the start of Jesus' public teachings, that we see that he's very different from anyone who's come before. What he wants to teach those who are listening is new and it's challenging. And it's about to introduce teaching that's going to go against what the world at the time, the Roman world, thought. And it also goes against what our current, our modern world teaches as well. The very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit means being humble. It means realising that we as individuals have no spiritual power. We are sinful creatures. We need God's help. We do not have anything. Humble yourself before God and realise that all good things and all grace comes from God. It means getting rid of all our pride and our personal spiritual independence. We really cannot do it on our own. The Apostle James says in chapter 4 verses 7 to 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So when we become poor in spirit, we humble ourselves before God. But when we bow down before him, realizing that we can't do this, he's going to lift us up. Being poor in spirit is the first of these Beatitudes because it's where we need to start. We need to realise that we have nothing. We re need to realise we're poor. What do poor people do? They beg. When they've got utterly nothing left, they, they beg for help. When we're poor in spirit and we realise this, we can beg God for help. And he will reward us with the kingdom of heaven. He will lift us up. Next is... Blessed are those who mourn. They are going to be comforted. This one seems fairly simple. It does what it says on the tin. You think, oh, that makes sense. People who are mourning are going to be comforted. And Jesus does want to comfort those who are mourning, those who've lost people and so on. But I don't think this is what he means with this particular statement here. Rather, what he seems to mean is that once we've become humble and once we've become poor in spirit, we'll begin to see ourselves for the fallen creatures that we are and the world for the fallen place it is. We will begin to mourn for the situation we find ourselves in. 
we realize that we live in a world that isn't what it's meant to be. We're meant to live forever in a disease-free, evil-free, open and loving communion with God. And we don't. We live in a world with cancer and AIDS and murder and famine and rape and torture and all manners of evil. And we need to mourn for this world and we need to mourn for our part in it. We need to focus our attention on what the world has lost. If we can do this, then Jesus promises here that he's going to, we will be comforted. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when I preached on uh, Pentecost, Jesus promises in John's Gospel, chapter 14, he will send the comforter. When we realise that we're poor in spirit, we can't do it on our own. When we realise just how bad this world is and how bad we are, Jesus is going to send someone that's going to comfort us. We'll be mourning our situation and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Next, blessed are the Greek. Sorry, meek. Um, sorry, reference to one of my favourite films. There's a couple of them flashed about. The meek. Now here, Jesus is making a very bold statement. The world responds... It's a very bold and very countercultural statement. The world responds well to powerful people. Pa people who are willing to take what they want. We hear it all the time. Go out, do your best, claim what's yours, get what's yours, be bold, be strong. Meek people in the world are seen as very different. The world doesn't like meek people. Meek people are doormats. A little while ago, I was reading an article online which talked about those sayings that we have which really need to be retired. For example, crime doesn't pay. Well, it does. Look how rich criminals are. Okay? And one of the ones that it said needed to be shifted and got rid of is blessed are the meek because the meek don't have anything. They're not blessed with anything. Stop saying that. It tells people that they can be doormats. But I disagree. When we are poor in spirit and we're humble, okay, this will create in us a sense of gentleness and meekness. And this is what Jesus means. He doesn't mean we need to be brash and storm everywhere, demanding our rights. But we are not to be doormats either. The Greek word for meek is praeus. And it's impossible to convey the meaning of this word in just one English word. Praeus, meek, the meaning is lost. In Greek, it means the proper balance between anger and indifference. In the vocabulary of the ancient Greek language, the meek person was not passive or easily pushed around. And the main idea behind the word meek was strength under control. Like a strong stallion that was trained to do the job instead of running wild. Which is what God and Jesus wants for us here. God doesn't want us to be going off crazy and demanding all this stuff he wants us to be self-controlled and still strive for what we want be meek not a doormat god won't let us be downtrodden and that's why in the end god says that those who are meek will inherit the earth society tells us that we need to go and take it society tells us that rich powerful people are going to take the earth god says Do you know what keep going keep yourself self-controlled and it's going to be yours don't listen to them. As well as being meek, Jesus encourages us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the next one. 
God is righteous and we need to strive to be just like him. Which means longing for justice and righteousness. Not justice for ourselves in a selfish way. Instead it means justice for the oppressed and justice for the downtrodden. The poor, the exploited, the persecuted and the lonely. If we do this, if we think about others and genuinely want justice for them, then as Paul says in that passage from Philippians, the righteousness of God is wonderful and he will fill us with it. And if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we're meek, if we're poor in spirit, the next one is that it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will show mercy. And the Greek here suggests that what Jesus is saying is we need to show mercy to those whom we could punish in some way. Society doesn't want us to forgive people or to be merciful to people. It wants us to play the game of one-upmanship. So-and-so is doing well. I need to do better. Okay, So-and-so hurt me. Well, I need to punish them. But right at the start of his teaching, Jesus says no. Be merciful. Show mercy to those who are less fortunate than yourself. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless. The merciful one will show it to those who are weaker and poorer. The merciful one will always look for those who weep and mourn. The merciful one will be forgiving to others and always looking to restore broken relationships. The merciful will be, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We need to be like Jesus. Jesus sought out the weak and the poor. Jesus sought out the weeping and the mourning. Jesus sought out those who were in broken relationships. If someone has wronged us, if someone has upset us, if someone has caused us problems and we can punish them we shouldn't we need to be merciful we need to build up that relationship we need to say i'm you know we need to show the mercy and if we do this we get the same back from god god has the ultimate right to judge and to punish we've all broken god's law we've all sinned and yet he shows us mercy and he will show us mercy. Next, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Um, this is an echo of Psalm 24, which says, in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 24, says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. It's a strange one. Moses and John and Paul, they all say in Scripture, they make it abundantly clear that nobody can see God and live. If you see God, you will die. And yet here's Jesus saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But Jesus is very clear on this. If we are pure in heart, if all we can focus on is God and what God wants, then we will one day see God. Of all the rewards listed in the Beatitudes, 
the kingdom of heaven, inheriting the earth, mercy, righteousness. This is the greatest of all of them. The right and the ability to see God. And it's given to those who are able to be straight and honest and clear in their devotion to God. And then there's the cheesemakers. Sorry, peacemakers. It's the last one, I promise. <laughs> now, the peacemakers. The peacemakers, again, uh, sorry, the, the peacemakers are mentioned uh, is a reference to Isaiah chapter 57. The prophet there says, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Bringing peace is one of the primary roles of a Christian. What Jesus means is, is of course, acting peacefully, to be peaceful, but he also means to bring peace in everything we do, to spread peace wherever we go. Being a peacemaker is about closing gaps between people. One reason why the world is in such a state is that there's too many gaps. People hate other people and they won't come close to them. We need to help to close these gaps. And in doing this, we bring about peace and can begin to bridge the gap between man and God. If we bring people closer together, if we learn to live peacefully, we can then start to mend relationships between other people and ourselves and ourselves and other people and God. And it's interesting, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be known as the children of God. In doing this, if we do this, we become known as God's children. And it's a fine title to have. It's the peacemakers who are recognised as the children of God. Almost in the sense of, remember that when, years ago, when every other business was so-and-so and sons, you know, and the name of the business, you followed in your father's footsteps when you went into a into a into a job and that's that's what god's saying here it's almost as if the peacemakers are following god's foot footsteps they're the ones doing what he wants they're carrying on his work they're the ones bringing about peace and reconciliation and it doesn't matter who it is left wing right wing men women black white it does not matter who those people are god has not stuttered and said you didn't miss him saying go and make peace with so and so but don't make peace with these people God's instructions are clear. We need to close the gaps. We need to mend relationships. We need to build fences. We need to spread peace with everybody. Every single person is welcomed into church, no matter what. And Jesus ends the Beatitudes talking about those who are being persecuted for righteousness and those who are insulted for following Jesus. Paul makes clear in i think it's second timothy um everyone who wants to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted all over the world christians are being persecuted um there was an attack yesterday or the day before yesterday in burkina faso another islamist attack in burkina faso the whole area of sub-saharan africa is facing massive islamist attack christians villages are being attacked so many times christians in all over the world are persecuted in North Korea in other places we know this in this country Christians are often made fun of for their beliefs their beliefs are downplayed I read today um, 
one of the teaching unions, um, not mine, but one of the teaching unions, because it's Pride Month, is going to stage a play uh, which imagines Jesus coming back as a transgendered woman. Now, I don't want to get into the, the politics of all that, um, apart from the fact that when Jesus comes back, he's not going to come back as a man or a woman. He's going to come back as the son of God, you know, riding on the clouds of glory. But Christian beliefs are, it's open season. People can mock them as much as they like. Politicians who who um, share their Christian beliefs find it really difficult. There was a great article, um, I'll try and send a link later, a couple of weeks ago from Kate Forbes, who talked about how difficult it is for her you know, to be a Christian in a in the modern political world. And I have Christian friends who who don't like um, some of the policies of her particular party. And I have Christian friends who have said, well, I don't see how she can be a Christian. And I'm like, well, that's not yours to judge, is it? It is incredibly difficult. And Jesus says that what happens is it's going to be difficult. Persecution and ridicule is difficult. But we, Jesus says that we need to keep going. We need to keep going because one day we'll have a reward in heaven. Um, so it's easy to see the Beatitudes as a list of things that we have to do as Christians. Be merciful, be meek, be kind, etc. Now this, this could be a Christian message that the world could accept. The world can accept this. Oh yeah. So that's your teaching, is it? You've got to be meek, kind, merciful, peaceful. Uh, you've got to look out for justice. Have we found the mythical pot of gold? Have we found the Christian gospel that could be spread for the world? No, we haven't, because that's not the Christian gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not what it is. There's so much more to this passage than just a list of things. Um, I was an avid reader as a child not so much these days um it's more audio books and so on but and i remember a day when i discovered a new author in a town near where my parents live a place called langochlin is a wonderful second-hand bookshop it's over an amazing cafe you go upstairs it's one of those weird ones almost like um a magical place it has more rooms than could possibly exist in in the building you go up there's little stairs and so on and i went in there and i was looking for a book and i discovered first time i must have been 14 or 15 and i picked up a copy of murder on the orient express by agatha christie it was my first agatha christie book and i remember reading it and i stopped before the final chapter you might want to mute in a second because there's a spoiler coming up um and i stopped before the final chapter i haven't got a clue all right i'm thinking who's done this i'm trying to see if i can guess who the killer is and as far as i knew they'd all done it I don't have a clue. I said, oh, they've all done it. Turns out, I was actually right. They had all done it apart from one. Now, a little while later, I came back. I'd read a couple more Agatha Christie, and I was um, going into work on the bus. I grabbed the book and started reading it again. Reading the book the second time, knowing what I knew about the end, made the book so very different. I saw every word from a character, every nuance, every scene in a different light. It was remarkable. It was truly remarkable. The Bible's the same. The Bible is all about Jesus. When as a young Christian I read the Bible for the first time, it's still it's fantastic. But as I read it again, more and more again, and I know that Jesus is there permeating the whole of Scripture from the very beginning of Genesis to the end in Revelation, 
and you see that it's all about Jesus when you come back and you think about what he did it opens it up and yes the Beatitudes they are often direct contradictions of what society wants and they're good teachings to follow even if you're not a Christian it's good advice to be peaceful and merciful and meek and seeking justice that's great advice but Jesus here is pointing towards he starts his public mission and he's pointing towards the end the real beatitudes that come why can we be rich as kings why can we inherit the kingdom of god why will the kingdom of heaven belong to us why can we be so rich because jesus became both spiritually and physically utterly poor why can we be comforted by god because jesus who is god mourned he knew what it was to mourn the fallen world he knew what it was to mourn sinful man and because he wept inconsolably and because he died in the dark utterly rejected and utterly alone why are we able to inherit the earth because jesus was meek jesus had the ultimate power jesus could have stormed jerusalem instead of riding in on a donkey jesus could have called down reigns of heavenly fire to destroy his enemies but no jesus was meek and he went like a lamb before her shearers to his fate on the cross why can we be filled when we thirst and hunger for righteousness because on the cross jesus thirsted why can we be shown mercy why do we deserve to be shown mercy because Jesus got none from the crowd, none from Pilate, and he didn't get any mercy from his own father either when he died on that cross. He knows what it is to be through all this. Why can we be children of God? Because he was forsaken by his own father. His own father was prepared to put him through that, and Jesus was prepared to take on that cup and go through that because he knew that it would bring us back to God. Why will we see God in the end? Because Jesus was pure in heart and single-minded enough to set his face like flint and head off to his death in Jerusalem. Why will we see God? Because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple tore from the top to the bottom, opening the way into the Holy of Holies. Jesus' death on the cross opened up the way for us to go into God's throne room. When we as Christians see Jesus become poor in spirit, it helps us to realise we need God's grace. When we get this grace, we are filled with compassion. We are filled with mercy, we are filled with the desire for peace, and we are filled with the hunger for righteousness. When we come closer to God through prayer and worship, we can approach his throne. And one day we will see him and great will be our reward in heaven when we follow his lead that he sets out in the beatitudes and we become more like jesus